Sounds like somebody is fired up in here tonight. Does anybody in the house love Jesus? Is that what's going on? There you go. The star of the show, he is here. He's here. Did you feel him in worship? Did you feel him in the excitement of just talking about the things of his life, mini church, baptism, conferences that make him famous and glorify him? He's here, isn't he? It's good. He's in all of us. And we're going to get into his word here tonight. I'm excited, actually. I got a good one for you guys tonight. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 5 tonight. Um, last week, we talked about in Paul's second letter, 2 Corinthians. Not second letter. It was actually his fourth letter, right? We talked about that. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we talked a little bit about the end, about in the theme of never giving up. Do you guys remember when we talked about it the, at the last part of the chapter? You can look at chapter 4. If you have your Bible or whatever, you can kind of browse back a little bit. But we talked about we don't give up because we don't focus on what we can see right here in the now. Remember that? But we fix our eyes on Jesus, right? And we focus on the things that are not now, but are future, that are unseen and not on the things that are seen right now. So Paul is basically saying, you don't have to just focus on circumstances. Just look at Jesus, the Savior, right? Remember we said that don't look at where you're at right now on your path, but look at the destination of where that path is leading. You guys remember that? So Paul leads into this next chapter tonight, what we're going to be talking about, with basically saying this. If that's the situation with us, that we're looking out there and we're not looking at present circumstances, then we can kind of take a new grip. We can like make the decision we're not going to give up because there's good things waiting. What he gets into tonight, really in summary, is he's going to kind of tell us a little bit about what it is that is at the destination, what kind of destination he's talking about. Not just the fact that he's going to get you through the trial that you're in right now, but really the ultimate destination, the ultimate vacation destination, residential destination, whatever, is heaven, right? The ultimate place where everybody wants to be, better than the top 10 beaches in the travel channel, whatever. Heaven is the place where we're all going and we're all looking forward to, to right? So he's saying, eventually we're all going to get to heaven. But then the, tonight's sermon is basically on this. But in the meantime, while you're still living out your days here on earth, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to act? Are you going to sit by and just kind of go, you know what, I got heaven to look forward to. That's really exciting. And I'm just going to ride this one out. And I think a lot of us kind of do that. I, I travel somewhat a lot. I'm not like some businessman that travel like, you know, several weeks out of each month or whatever. But I've been to a lot of places this year. Probably this year I've traveled more than I've ever been before. I traveled to California a couple of times, traveled to Arizona, traveled to Japan, traveled to the Philippines, traveled to London, traveled to Ukraine, traveled to... Australia, thank you for reminding me. I've traveled a bunch this year, and I'm glad that I'm actually here to just hang out with you guys for the next few months. I don't have to travel for a while, not till November, then I go back to Japan again. But I travel a lot, and on planes, you get excited for the destination. Don't you guys, when you travel, I mean, at least if it's somewhere good you're going, like on the, the trip, the last trip when I went to the Ukraine, it was about a, talking about one flight to the next flight to the layover in the airport to the next flight or whatever, it was like about 25 hours of commute time. So that's a lot of just waiting. Then in my head, I'm going, wow, I get to go to Ukraine. I'm with my dad. This is going to be a cool trip. We're going to go and share the things of the Lord. We're going to meet new people in churches. I get to go see a whole new culture I've never seen before. Man, this is exciting. And on the plane, I'm just like, like kicking back, waiting it all out. It's like long. I'm just, you know, doing that. I'm not doing anything like super, like, bad or unproductive, but I'm not doing anything super productive on the other hand too. I'm just kind of like, 
enjoying it. And just I'm, my mind is set on the destination. Man, what's it going to be like in Ukraine? Oh, this is pretty cool. Like I'm sitting there watching my movies, you know, and, and can I get some more peanuts, you know, with that? And I'm just like hanging out because I'm so excited about what's going to be at my destination. And then I, I'm sitting there and I look over at my dad and you know what my dad is doing? He's writing this book. You guys see this in your, in your uh, bulletins right there? This new book he wrote that's on Kindle. I really recommend it. I actually was reading it today. But I'm over there thinking I'm doing pretty good. I'm fired up about my destination. And my dad's going, you know what? The, the destination's good. I'm excited to be there. But I'm not just going to sit around ordering peanuts and extra Cokes. Like, I'm going to actually do something productive. And it kind of hit me as I was reading this week's scripture is a lot of Christians, we sometimes, we don't necessarily go into bad anti-God mode. But we're not actually doing anything real productive while we're sitting around waiting for heaven to come in our lives. You guys get what I'm saying? And what Paul is trying to say tonight is, guys, let's make the most of this time we have on planet Earth. Yeah, we got heaven. Yeah, you know what that means? We already win. The worst that the devil could throw at us, he could kill us, and we still win. Because we know right where we're going, and we're just going there a lot faster, right? So we don't even care. We're just like, yeah, but a lot of Christians, once they find Jesus, they're kind of like, well, now my life is set. My eternity set, and you know what? This life is hard and all this, so I'm just going to pretty much just ride it out. You know, I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm not really doing anything productive. I'm just kind of being passive because one day I get heaven, and that's exciting. I don't think that that is the type of stance that Jesus wants for us to live our lives with. I believe that what Paul's going to show us here tonight is that we should make the most of this time we have available. We shouldn't just be sitting there going, oh, this is pretty cool. Give me some more peanuts. I'm looking over at my dad going, you just wrote a book. That's crazy, right? But he's going, I'm making the most of the time I got. So I want us to jump in with that attitude in mind that the sermon title, Making the Most of It, is really a call by God to say, how are you using your life? And there's going to be times in your life, we talked about last week, never give up, where you're barely just hanging on and you're just surviving. But you know what? You're going to get through that season. And there's going to come the times when now you have the freedom because you're not just barely hanging on, but he starts to renew your strength. You start to get restored. You start to get fired up. You start to be back on one of those upswings in life. And you're like, yeah, but that's not any time to just like let off the gas and just cruise because oh, everything's okay right now. Really what Paul's going to be saying tonight is let's make the most of whatever circumstance we're in. Let's live for God. Let's reach this world. Let's change lives. Let's change history. Let's do something. Yeah, heaven's coming, but what are you going to do right now? So let's look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I put this part, living in hope and confidence, because we need to realize that we do have a lot to look forward to, a lot of reason to have a hope, and a lot of reason to live in confidence. It says this, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and we leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. He's talked about heaven prior to this in 2 Corinthians and a lot in 1 Corinthians, I think it was like chapter 15. So we've been talking about this a lot. Paul's saying, we always have to look forward to heaven. Someday, these bodies, they're going to be gone. We're going to get new, excellent, new and improved, awesome bodies and live forever with Jesus Christ. So he's, he's bringing that back up again when, when he says, let's not focus on what's here and now. Let's focus on what we have to look forward to. And he says, we're going to have um, a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on the new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us 
for this. And as a guarantee, because I love guarantees. Don't you love guarantees? You buy something and you're going, I hope it doesn't break. And then right there, guarantee if it breaks, we replace, right? Or guarantee not to break. And you're like, yes, right? Guarantees are good things. He says, as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit, which is like a down payment, a sample of what heaven is going to be like. So as we're waiting, man, this is so hard. My body's groaning. I'm tired. I'm weary. And this, and when am I going to get to heaven? God's going, you know what? I got a little sample for you. Here's the Holy Spirit. Boom, in your life, right? You start to see power. You start to see miracles. You start to feel the goodness, the peace of God. And he's going, you know what? Just wait till you see what heaven's like. That's just a sample. Just a little, little poo-poo hors d'oeuvres. Taste tester. Wait till you get to the main course, right? He's saying it's going to be good. Look at verse 6. He says, so because of this, we're always confident that knowing that heaven is waiting for us, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit, knowing that something good is coming, we should live differently than the world does. We should have a confidence that the world is going, what's so great about today? And you're going, oh no, it's not about today. It's about what God has in store for me. I live in, in expectation of something good. We should always be confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are fully confident. There's that word again. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So what first thing he's telling us here, we should live with hope and confidence. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's the main thing that he's trying to say. We should live with hope and confidence. There's more to life than just this. And we look in the, in the scriptures about heaven. And you look at the different verses. If you just ever go do a word study, heaven. What, is it, what are the Bible verses on heaven? You're going to find a lot of different places that describe Revelation, Thessalonians, a lot of different books of the Bible talk about heaven. It doesn't give us enough. For me, I'm wishing that he would give just a full-on description, but it just kind of whets our appetite to realize, oh, I can't wait to see what the rest is all about. I can't wait. He probably doesn't give us everything because we just wouldn't understand it in human terms now because it's going to be so different. But he talks about heaven in Scripture. And Paul's saying, because of the hope of heaven, we know that there's going to be no tears there. There's going to be no sadness. There's going to be no pain. There's going to be no suffering. We know that there's actually going to be no night, the Bible says. There's going to be no night or darkness. Why? Because the Lord is going to be the source of light for all of heaven. See, that's stuff that you just can't even understand, but we have a sun, and there's going to be no darkness, but what, light's going to be shining out from God? Like, I don't get it. Like, there's some stuff he's going, I can't give you too much because you're not going to get it with your human mind right now. But we know that there's going to be no, no night because the light's going to be coming from the Lord. We're all going to be sitting around worshiping him. And I don't know if that's just like singing songs like Christ alone, you, Jesus, you are my cornerstone, right? I don't know if we're going to sing straight to him. I don't know, you know, what it's like, but we're just going to live in the, because I don't think worship is just like singing. Worship is living our life and our afterlife. We're just going to be going, God, you're right here. You're face to face. All those years I used to read about you. Now it's like, yeah, give me a hug, God. Yeah, you know, you're just going to be, it's so good. We're so excited. We should live with confidence. It says in Scripture, no one can imagine what God has prepared for us. It's exciting to know and to think about our destination. I'm going to be there one day. Man, it's coming up. God is good. This is so exciting. It's going to be good. You know what? I'm not scared of death anymore. If I die, I'm scared of a painful death because I don't like pain. But if I die, big deal, right? But only Christians have that hope. Only Christians have that confidence because it's going to be a bummer. People are going to miss me or whatever, but we all do it one day. But the main thing is I know where I'm going and it's going to be good. And I kind of, Paul's kind of saying, it'd be nice to even get there right now, but you know what? We're going to hang out for a while and we're going to do what he's called us to do because we have something good to look forward to. It's like when you know something good is about to have happen in your life, you live differently, don't you? 
when you know that there's something good, then all the stuff you're going through, you're kind of going, it's minor because I'm looking forward to this. I, t- I talk to people uh, who are about to have babies, right? Is, is Keao in the house right there? Keao's about to give birth. Suna Oka back there. And you talk to people that are about to have babies. I remember when I was about to have babies, like our first baby especially. And there's just this excitement of like, Carl, I'm pregnant. And you're like, oh, what? Oh, my gosh. You know, you're all excited. And everything from that point on is just thinking about, man, when are we going to have that kid? When are we going to have that kid? And so the stuff that I went through in my life, knowing that I was going to have a kid someday, the stuff like, wow, financially, we're not really there yet and whatever. And I just go, oh, minor, because I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to have a kid nine months from now. Oh, man, this is going to be exciting, right? And the regular routine stuff of like, oh, there's disagreements with people and there's hard things in life. You you don't even care. Why? Because your eyes are lifted above the circumstances because you got this confidence and this hope that I'm going to be a dad someday pretty soon. And I'm excited about that. And that you live with this thing that says, yeah, I'm going through all of life's problems, but man, I'm looking forward to something. And Paul is saying, we as Christians ought to live with that kind of hope and excitement and confidence in God knowing that, you know what? This life is temporary. And what's waiting for me on the other side? That's good. And when other people give up on life and they're going, well, I need to hit the bottle or I need to turn to something because I'm not feeling good, we can just go, nah, never mind about that. I know what's coming. I'll, I'll get through this stuff. That's not a big deal. But we can be confident. Here's what Hebrews 6.19 says in the New American Standard Version. It says, it talks about this hope we have. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Did you know that that verse right there, there's a little more to it, but that's the main part. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. It's a hope that is both sure and steadfast. When we have this hope of heaven and this hope of salvation and this hope of Jesus in our lives, you know that saying? Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. You know what that means? Is that you have a solid hope to hold on to knowing that heaven is waiting for you, knowing that Jesus is in your life and no matter what circumstance you're going on, even if it feels like you're barely holding on, you're holding on because your anchor is secure to a firm foundation. Amen? Amen. And so you don't have to worry about as much stuff because we have this hope. Here's a little uh, Hope Chapel tidbit of information, a little fun fact that you never knew. The name Hope Chapel that my dad came up with for this church in 1971 was this verse that God gave him. Hey, God, I want to start a church. I want to do this. And I, I don't know what to call it. And God gave him this verse, Hebrews 6, 19. This is why we call this church Hope Chapel because of this verse that says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It's a hope both sure and steadfast. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what storms, this boat is not slipping away and we're not going the way of the storm. Amen? See, I went, once I went on a little um, surf expedition with some of my friends, uh, Pastor Rob Willitzer, our college pastor, he had this little, Rob, are you in here right now? Is he out? He's out. There he is right there. Rob, remember that little dinghy you had? The little one from like the 70s? It was like this old little like, what is it, 10 feet or 8 feet? 12 footer? Okay, it seemed a lot smaller. But it was literally from like, on the side it was like imprinted like Sears and Roebuck or something like that. Like he bought it basically at Sears, like, I don't know, in the 70s his dad bought it. And we went on this little surf trip, a bunch of us, you know, from church, not a bunch because it's small, but a few of us. And we go and put our boards on, get the motor on. It's this little dinghy, but it's really old and like sketchy, you know. And uh, we go out to this reef break and we anchor. We put the anchor and it's actually got like a little handle on it. And then we tied the anchor on the handle and we go out for a surf. And we're out there for an hour, hour or two. And we're always looking back at the boat. We look back and, and one time we look back and the boat is not there. The boat is like way far away, right? And it's a long paddle. It's kind of sharky. Uh, another surfing shark story, right? 
And so we're in there, and we just panic. Oh, no, the boat, you know? So we all go paddling in, and we're like, what happened? The boat was right here. Oh, here's a piece of the boat. The anchor was still tied to a piece of the boat <laughs> that was floating, and the rest of the boat just broke off and floated away. <laughs> and so we're like, ah! So we got to go get the boat. Then we got to swim back and dive down to get the anchor and the whole deal. And it's so funny, but I just thought, that is not Jesus Christ. That is, that is not the hope that we hold on to. We hold on to a very secure anchor and handle and all of that. And that is my big picture. That was scary. That was terrible. That sucked. But God, you are good. And so God gives us this hope of heaven and this hope that who he is in our lives. But secondly, this is what Paul's saying right here is, he actually gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what's to come. He actually gives the Holy Spirit as kind of a sample of how good life's going to be when we get to the other side of eternity. It says this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We read this a couple weeks ago. The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That means here's a sample. God's working His Holy Spirit in you to make you better, to get you prepared. That's kind of what heaven's going to be like. All the good, amazing stuff that happens in your life right now, it's a sample, Right? It says in Romans 8, 23, and we, believe, we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. But you know what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is just a foretaste. How many of you guys, to be honest, really enjoy Costco samples? Come on. That's what we're talking about right now. You go to Costco and you're hungry and you see the food and the new products. And you're like, oh, I got to buy that. That looks so good. And oh man, I can't get, wait to get home and throw that in the microwave, right? Those are like, oh, those are like nuggets in the shape of Mickey Mouse's head. Oh, those are good, right? I got to go get those things. And you, get, you just get hungry when you go to Costco. And the amazing thing about Costco is while you're waiting to receive that awesome meal that you're going to go home and cook, they give you free samples, right? Isn't that cool? And here's what scripture is saying right here, I, I want you to hear, is the Holy Spirit is the free samples of what heaven is going to be like. Amen. But here's the thing, not everybody takes advantage of the free samples, right? And you, you go to Costco and you see people that are just a little too scared to, to fight it out and brave the line and stand in front of the microwave while like, you know, there's no more, no more cups, right? And you're just like going, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm going to get it first, right? Hot lasagna, you know, even if it's only one bite, it's all good, right? And you're waiting and you see... The poor people, they're just like, oh, shoot, it's too fast. I don't have time. Or, or they're just like too scared to go brave the line. And I'm like, I'm never scared. I'm just like, it's free. I'm eating it, right? <laughs> Here's the thing. Not every Christian is taking advantage of the free sample of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're waiting for heaven to come someday, and the Holy Spirit is there. He's going, hey, I could hook you up with some samples right now. You, you want that prayer answered right now? You looking for healing in your life? You're looking to experience the gifts that are supernatural that I can do in your life that could do amazing things for you. Do you want that? Mm, well, I don't know. The Holy Spirit is saying it's free samples. But here's the thing. Write it in your notes. Take advantage of the free samples. That's a, that's a, that's a good law to put into practice spiritually, but also at Costco. Take advantage of the free samples. Fill up on the power of the Holy Spirit. Take advantage of what he's got for you. Then it goes on to the next set of verses and he talks about pleasing God here in verse 9. He says, so whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Whether we're here on earth or here on, in, or going to heaven, the whole goal of what life is all about is to please God. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve 
for the good or evil that we've done in this earthly body. Because we understand that our fearful responsibility to the Lord, you know why it's a fearful responsibility? Because it's kind of scary to think that one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and I'm going to have to give account of my life. It's fearful because I better be making him proud. I better be have said, look, here's what I did with the life you gave me, Jesus. And that's a scary moment, but that's a good moment, right? That's something that should keep us accountable. Our whole goal while we're here on earth waiting for heaven is our goal is to please him. It's we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, so we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Here's what he's saying. Heaven is waiting, life is short, live to please him. Heaven is waiting, and life is short. What are you going to do in the meantime? What are you going to do with your time? Um, I'll take another cup of soda and some peanuts, please. Or are you over there writing the book and being as productive as you possibly can? We're going to have to answer to Jesus one day. And he's going to judge us on how we lived our life. Now, this is not judging us on salvation. Salvation is a gift of grace through faith, right? We understand that. We're saved. We're not earning and working towards salvation. But because we've been saved, we're required to live a life that says, I want to give back to God. I want to bless him because he did all that for me. I just want, he's calling me to do this. I love him. I want to thank him. I want to show appreciation. And I want to make him proud of me. I, I really want to please him and say, here's what I did with the life that you gave me. I was waiting for heaven. But in the meantime, I made the most of it. I made the most of what you called me to do. He expects us to do that, that we need to get out there and we need to, to do good stuff in the short time that we have. I look at it like this. My friends visited the other week, maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, from California. Some friends I knew from back when I was youth pastoring in California in Huntington Beach. And they came to visit. It was their first time to Hawaii. And they knew that they only had like nine or ten days. So you guys know that there's a difference between someone that's never been to Hawaii before and they're vacationing in Hawaii. How they make use of nine days in Hawaii is very different than how we live our day today, right? Because we live here every day. We take advantage of it. We're like, yeah, 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 whatever. They were doing stuff that I never even knew existed in Hawaii, right? They were, being, they were going to beaches and hikes, and I'm like, what? You know why? Because they only had a short time, and they're trying to make the most of it. Oh, we went and hiked the, and here's like the, the stuff they say, the Kalakalunamunawahewa Falls. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know. I went and golfed the Kaualoa Kaulau. Yeah, that's it. I'm like, what are you guys talking about, right? They went golfing. They went hiking. They went to beaches I never heard of. They went, I'm, what are you guys doing tomorrow? We're going to go paddle boarding, stand up paddle in the morning, and then we're going to go take a helicopter ride. I'm like, holy, what, helicopter ride, right? But here's the deal. When you only have a short time, you have nine days in Hawaii, you milk those days to the most that you can, right? You get everything you can out of them. And us that live here a while, we're just kind of like, yeah, maybe I'll get to that beach one day, I guess. I don't know, you know? Like, I just live here, right? And there's a difference when you know that time is limited. And when you understand that, I've only got this many years on this planet. Someday it's going to be awesome while I'm in heaven. But while I'm here, I want to make the most of it. God, I want to make you proud with the way that I live my life. Because someday I'm going to have to answer to you and live with you for all of eternity. And I want you to know that I loved you and I did the very best I could with the amount of time that you've given me. Amen? You make the most of it. Even though sometimes it's hard and you're, you're barely giving up like we, we talked about last week. You're, you're tempted to give up and you don't. But we got to understand our, our responsibility in good times and in bad is to make him proud. Um, it says in Romans 14, 12 that we will all stand before God one day and have to give personal account for our lives. And we want to make him proud. Who in your life, the question was tonight, who do you live to make proud in your life? Think about it. Who are the names that instantly come to your head when you say, how, 
how you're living your life, you're trying to make blank proud of you. You really want to work hard at knowing that this person is proud of you. And, and we all say different things, right? I can say like my mom and dad, because of all that they've invested in me and the love that they've showed me and, and my dad leading the way in ministry and starting the church, I want to show him, dad, look at what I did. I want to make you proud. I want to, I want to show you that I'm, that I'm capable of doing all this and that I used my life wisely, right? And I turned out to be someone good. And some of you guys, you think about it right now, you would say, oh, grandma, oh, it's my, it's my spouse. I want to make them proud that I'm doing my best for them or whatever, whoever it was, maybe it's a teacher, a coach, a mentor or someone. The reason that we want to make someone proud is because in some way or another, think about this, they have shown love to us, haven't they? They've either given us a chance, they've invested in us, they've, they've expected good things out of our lives. And so us responding to that love is a way to say, look at how I live my life. I want to make you proud because you love me. It's exactly the same with God. God's going, I sent my son to die on that cross for you. I love you so much. And Jesus is going, I did it all for you. I was in the garden and I prayed, if there's any other way, I don't want to do it. But you know what? I'm going to do it anyway because I love you and I love the Father. And because God loved us so much, we've got to have this attitude that says, then bottom line, any way that I live my life, I'm living to make my, my God proud. I'm living to make my Heavenly Father proud of me. I want to get to heaven on Judgment Day, and I want to get there, and I really want Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want that? And so while we're waiting on, on earth in this time that we have here, we live to really make Him proud. And then He goes on in verse 12, and He says, are we commending ourselves to you again? In other words, does it sound like we're bragging? Because remember, everyone was criticizing Paul. Oh, you sound like you're bragging. He goes, are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Paul's saying, you know what's more important is that we have a sincere heart. We're not going to brag about our ministry and all that. We just think that what's most important is we have a right heart after God. He says, if it seems that we are crazy... It's to bring glory to God. And if, it, if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, here's the, the, the key phrase right here. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Whether we're crazy or whether we're in our right minds, we're totally sane. It's Christ's love that we are living for. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that, that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And really, that's what we're doing this weekend after service. That's what baptism is all about, is you just saying, Jesus, I accept all that you did. You gave your life for me. So I'm kind of symbolically identifying with you that my old man is going under the water in the grave, dying to my old self. Because of you, I'm risen. I'm a new creation. And when we get baptized, we're just basically rejoicing and celebrating and saying, God, that's what my life looks like now because of you. And so I want to rejoice and I want to let the rest of the world know that. So if that's you tonight, go for it. Go get baptized. But here's what, what Paul is saying is, is there's, there's going to be times when it looks like we're crazy or we're sane, but the main thing is it's Christ's love controls us that we need to learn to be people who are loving like Jesus. And it all comes down to having a right heart. I wrote this in my notes for you to write down. Check your heart because that's what matters most to God. Check your heart because really that is what matters most to God. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says this. When Samuel the prophet was coming to pick who was going to be the next king of Israel after Saul and he was going to find David and he was looking through all of Jesse's sons and it says this in verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People 
judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And there are so many Bible verses that talk about the importance of our heart and having a right heart for God. There's so many. I started looking them up and I was going to list a couple and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many. This is overwhelming. But God throughout scripture puts so much importance on our hearts, right? In Romans 10, 9, it talks about if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. It's basically saying, you know what gets you saved? It's a decision of the heart. God is looking at your heart. It's a big deal because God doesn't look at overall outside stuff, spectacular ministry. He's looking for people that have sincere hearts. So we check our hearts because that's what matters most to God. You know why? A wrong heart before God will disqualify you. We talked about the other week how God qualifies us because we're living for him. But if you have a wrong heart, you're disqualified. If you're in this church and you're on staff or you're volunteering and it comes to our attention that you're serving out of a wrong heart, that right there is reason enough for us to say, you know what, maybe you shouldn't be serving in this church. Because if you're doing it for the wrong motives and you're doing it from a wrong heart, that's going to quickly disqualify you because that's what matters most to God. See, you can have bad actions. You can be like a normal Christian like a lot of us, like we, we're not perfect. And so you can have wrong actions that, oh man, I slipped and I fell. I backslid a little bit. But the right heart says, but I got right back up. I asked repentance of God, forgiveness, and I got back right on track where he wanted me. See, that's a right heart. You're not a perfect person, but your heart is right. Do you guys get what I'm saying here? But Paul says it's more important to have a right heart than spectacular ministry, awesome actions. You can be a person that, that does all the motions. I serve at church. I, I bless people. I give to the homeless. But inside you're going, man, I don't get anything out of it. Man, and I want to make sure that when I give, people see that I'm giving because I got to make sure people see. If you're serving or you're loving people for selfish gain or for what you can get out of it or because you feel like loving that person because they're nice to you, Jesus didn't love like that. Jesus loved the kind of people that weren't necessarily nice to him. He loved the kind of people that the rest of the world thought they're not that great because they judge in the outward appearances. But Jesus, if we're going to love like Jesus, Jesus was the one that did crazy things and he loved the kind of people because he looked right at their heart. Amen? And so let's check our hearts. Let's be about the hearts. Love is not based on emotions or selfish gain. Um, here's the other thing that Paul says is he's talking about, look, if we've ever appeared crazy to you or if we've appeared sane to you, too bad. <laughs> Because it's God's, it's Christ's love that controls us. And here's what, I, here's what I wrote in my notes. Get used to crazy. Write that down. Get used to crazy because true love does crazy things. If you have a crazy love for Jesus because he's shown crazy love to you by dying on the cross while we were still yet sinners, that doesn't make sense. Why would you die for someone that is totally rebellious against you? But if Christ can love us that much, then we ought to have the kind of love that says, I better get used to crazy because Christ's love is going to make me do weird things to people that, that shouldn't be done. And I'm not saying in a bad way. I'm just saying <laughs> you're going to do stuff that the world does not understand because of the love that controls your life. You guys understand? Paul's saying this. Paul was a Pharisee, well-respected member of society, well-respected religious figure, right, in Judaism. And what happened? He sacrifices it all to endure a life of suffering to preach a new message about Jesus Christ. He gives up his status and his reputation to travel around the known world at the time on his own budget, footing his own bill, making tents, doing all of that, just to go around and be ridiculed, to be thrown in prison, to suffer, to be stoned and left for dead 
and then crazy enough, he gets back up and walks right back into town. Remember we talked about that last week? Think of the life that Paul's basically saying, if I appear crazy to you by the way I live, so be it. It's because of Christ's love. And you know what? If I, uh, I appear sane to you and normal, because Paul was a great teacher and he's very logical and all that, he goes, whether I'm crazy or whether I'm sane, it's all because of love for Jesus Christ. And so he's telling us, be willing to get crazy. If God is really in your life and you love him and you're making the most of this time on earth, you're going to be led to do some crazy things. Someone this week wrote me an email, said this, uh, I was on the, the team of, with your architects and with your geological or geoanalytical survey team on the inspection team of your property and all that to get you ready for your building project. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I was the guy over that, it was my company. And um, we charged you this amount of money. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right for, for inspection and all that. And he goes, well, um, that was before I was a Christian. I've recently been coming to church and the Holy Spirit has been moving in my life and everybody's been loving me and God has been changing my life. And now because of Jesus in my life, I would like to repay you what you already paid me months ago. I would like to repay you and your church $11,000. Is that crazy or what? But do you see what I'm talking about here when Paul says, get used to crazy? Because if you really love Jesus and you love other people, you're going to be led to do crazy things like that. Who gives back $11,000, right? After it's already been paid. But here's a guy that goes, you know what? The love of Christ is controlling me and it's compelling me to do this, and I love you guys, and this is who I am now. Get used to crazy. Amen? That there should be stuff in our life that we do that other people don't understand. I know there's a couple people that have their personal businesses in this church, and their ministry is to do this. I am going to go out of my way to intentionally hire people that come right out of prison because no one else will hire them, and I have a heart to love people, and I know I'm taking a chance because I know these have been convicted criminals and felons. And a lot of times these guys that I know that have these businesses, they get burned because people come out and they go right back to their old ways and they rip them off and do whatever. But here's these people going, but you know what? I hire them anyway. Why? Because the love of Christ controls me. Because I got to love people. I better get used to doing crazy things because God tells us to do crazy things. You ever read that book, Crazy Love by Francis Chan? It's a winner of a book, Crazy Love. But it talks about this. If we're going to really say who we are and live for God unashamed and, and just keep on going and make the most of it, it's going to lead us to do things that kind of seem crazy, right? I just recently, this past year, sponsored five compassion kids that live in the Philippines. That's five. That's however much money it is every single month times five. And I already have a family of five. And, you know, and I'm just going, why did I do that? And me and my wife are going, because we love Jesus, because Jesus loves us, and we love these kids, and we're going to do stuff that seems crazy. And you know what? Somehow, we're paying all of our bills, and we're enjoying it, and we're loving that we're changing lives. But the rest of the world is going, why would you bite off more than you could chew? Why would you take five kids? I don't know. The love of Christ controls me, right? I, I got to do this stuff. This is what crazy looks like. If we're going to really love people, then we got to get out of the, the, the comfort zone sometimes, sacrificing time and, and money for ministry. I'm impressed with a lot of our volunteers in this church who, when there's ministry events, you know what they do? They actually take vacation time from work to attend camps, to do functions. They're giving up money and work and all of this because they love this church, they love people, and they love Jesus Christ. That's crazy to the rest of the world, but to us, we got to get used to crazy, right? There's people I know that are, that are opening up their houses to let people come and stay when people are, are kind of hurting financially or whatever. Like, that's awesome that you do that. 
just whenever you go and get out of your comfort zone to witness or pray for someone, to, to some of us, if, if you said, hey, just go pray for your friend whenever you see him, we'd be like, minor, I do that every day, right? Because we got those kind of outgoing, bubbly, charismatic personalities. But some of us, if God says, I want you to go over there and invite that person to church, we almost have an anxiety attack right there, don't we? We're just like, uh, Ralph Moore, I need your new book, Overcoming Anxiety. Because that is not us. Because why? Because us getting out of our quiet little comfort zone to go talk to someone, invite them to church, or to pray for them on the spot in the mall, that to us is crazy. So I'm not talking about we have to do these gigantic things, but what is crazy to you, you should get in the habit of practicing crazy love so that you're making the most of your time here on earth. Amen? Amen. And so we got to get used to that. Jesus says in John 15, 12 to 13, here's my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. That's loving like Jesus is what he's called us to. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. How are you laying your life down for other people right now? How are you doing it? Or are you even? Are you sacrificing time? Are you sacrificing money or resources or just you're just emotions or are you, you jumping into mini church? Are you opening up? We just opened our house up for mini church and we're, we're loving that. But how are you actually laying your life down? Because we're called to love like Jesus. What I loved about Jesus, if you want to follow him and his model, here's the people that Jesus liked most that we read in scripture. He liked little kids, didn't he? Let the little ones come to me. Stop your arguing, right? They're like, hey, hey get away, little kids. Stop bugging Jesus. And he goes, hey, you know what? Shut up. Let those little ones come to me. In fact, you guys should be more like these little ones, didn't he? He loved little kids. And he loved, I wrote this down, he loved the unpopular, the shady, the needy, and the very completely normal people, right? You know who he didn't like? The ones that thought they were holy and religious, right? And we want to be like, oh, we should be friends with the holy and the religious. You know what? Jesus was actually more friends with the people that were just the normal, salt of the earth, a little bit shady, tax collectors, and guys like that, right? The guys that they even called them, hey, why are you a friend of sinners, right? That Jesus' nickname was friend of sinners. In fact, Jesus did most of his miracles outside of the church, right? We always say, come to church, get prayer, and let's do miracles. That's good. But Jesus was the kind of guy that loved the unlovable, that went on the street to where people were hurting, and he met their needs. This kind of gives us a glimpse of when it says to love like Jesus, these are the kind of people we got to be thinking in our heads. Amen? we got to be looking for those. Let's love like Jesus because that's going to change the world. Love like that, it looks crazy, but that's what will change the world. And it says this in verse 16 as we, we finish up here. Um, the other thing we're supposed to be doing while we're making the most of this life is we need to be bringing others to God. Verse 16 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. We all have the task of bringing people back to relationship with him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're Christ's representatives here on earth. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know what he's basically saying here is we need to stop looking at people from outward appearance. What matters most when you look at people is their spiritual status. 
We need to be reminded of that right now. Write it down. I need to look at people's spiritual status because that's all that matters in this world. God is saying there are only two types of people in this world. This is all that matters in eternity. Those that know Jesus and those that don't know Jesus. That is the only status we should be judging everybody on. That the only thing that, that's going to matter for all of eternity is whether you knew Jesus and you were reconciled to God through him or whether you did not. And to those, here's two things. To those that know Jesus, here's how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to encourage them. We're supposed to realize that they're a changed life. That means people come to church and you're like, oh, that guy, what's he doing in church? No, no, you're supposed to look at him and go, that guy's a new creation in Jesus Christ. That guy has all the potential in the world to do big and amazing things. And I'm not going to look at the outward. I'm going to look at his heart and realize if he's a Christian, God is moving in his life. So I'm going to encourage that good work. I'm going to believe in that person. I'm going to get behind them. I'm going to pull them into to fellowship. I'm going to get there in mini church and I'm going to build them up and I'm going to bless them and I'm going to partner with them in this, this life because there's only two types of people, those that know Jesus, that I need to confirm the calling, I need to build them up. And secondly, there's those that don't know Jesus. For those that do know Jesus, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. If you know other Christians, then bless other Christians. Encourage them. Push them towards doing love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his, returning, of his return is drawing near. So if you know that people are Christians, encourage them to keep going, keep going hard, make the most of this life. But here's the second thing, and this is what he's really calling us to do. Those that don't know Jesus. Those that don't know Jesus in this world need to be made right with God. And God is saying, you represent Christ. You represent me. You show them the reconciliation that I want to happen. In other words, let's do our best to introduce, introduce people to Jesus Christ. Let's do our best when, as soon as we figure out what's their spiritual status. Oh, that guy's already saved. Okay, good. I can encourage him. Oh, this person over here, they don't know Jesus. Well, I got to wait for the right opportunity and the right timing. But God, I'm ready because that person needs to know Jesus because that's what eternity is all about. It's going to be those that know him and those that don't know him. So we got to show the love, the grace, the reconciliation, and we got to live it. And this is what I think. In showing people Jesus, it's not enough to just do like the little Facebook posts, right? It's cool that when we're on Facebook, we claim we're a Christian and we drop the scriptures and all of that. But I think to really get a hold of people, you got to go beyond Facebook, right? I'm not nagging on Facebook because Facebook is an awesome tool to get people. But the problem is we have to live it in our whole life right? To show people Jesus, not just with the scripture once in a while on Facebook, but they got to watch the way you live to see if Jesus is really real and he's worth living for. Amen? Amen? Because you can be just a Facebook Christian and drop the scriptures and post the pictures of yourself that look all cool and holy, but then you look at the pictures that your friends post of you and what you're doing with them, and you're going, wait a minute, what's going on here? And what's the bigger witness, right? When you, oh, that's great. You post those ones of yourself that look great. But then there's the ones all your friends are posting from what happened last Saturday night. And like, whoa, we need to be the kind of people that if we're reaching out to people that need Jesus, that we're showing them 24-7, that we're living the life. Because it's more than just a little word or a little prayer. Is the way you live in front of people is going to plant those seeds. It's going to draw them to a life of Jesus Christ because they say, that guy's successful. He has something. He has peace. He has confidence. He has hope. Where is that coming from? And they just see it in your life. And you look for the opportunities, but there's not always going to be an opportunity. Some of you guys can talk and you've got awesome charismatic personalities. You'll go and start a conversation with anybody. You know, the guys like 
filling gas in your car, like, hey, man, how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. You know, and I'm like, wow, how do people do that? You know, that's such a gift. That's not my gift, though. I can get up here and talk in front of a crowd, but when it's just me, one-on-one, like grocery store, hardware store, beach, or whatever, I'm like kind of a quieter guy, but you know what? That's a personality deal. I'm still praying and waiting and watching, and I'm looking for the God moments. I'm looking for the opportunities because people that talk a lot, there's always going to be an opportunity. But for people who are quieter like me, I'm praying, God, I want to show people Jesus. And I don't know how to bring it out, so I'm praying that you would open the door for me. I, I, I put it like this. Look for the go now moments. The moments where you know you're waiting, you're watching, and God just goes, go now, Carl, get him. I just opened the door for you. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be ready for the go now moments, don't you? You know, because I always hear the stories of like, I got on an airplane and I sat down and I led 14 people to the Lord that sat next to me. And I'm like, what? I get on the airplane and I just eat my peanuts and watch a movie and I'm just like, don't talk to me, you know, and I sleep. Sorry, I'm not that holy or whatever. But when God, I pray, and when God gives me the open door for the go now moment, I'm all over it, right? If I'm talking to someone and I just comment on something like, oh yeah, we did this with my church friends the other day and they're like, oh yeah, what church you go to? Boom, there's a go now moment for Carl, right? When someone gives just a little open door of what church you go to, boom, I'm, in, I'm there, right? And someone's going through a hard time or whatever. Man, I just need some help. Oh, go now. That's what I hear. Go now, Carl, right? And what do I do? Hey, can I pray for you? Boom, open door of opportunity. So what I'm saying is, if God is saying, look, what matters most, spiritual status. Christian, okay, they're good. Encourage them, love on them, keep them going. Non-Christian, how do I do it? How do I do it? Be praying, be seeking, be looking for the go-now moments. Because your go-now moment is going to be different from the person sitting next to you. But you're looking and you're listening and you're waiting. God, what do you want me to do? Look for the door of opportunity. Here's to sum it all up, what Paul is saying to us in this chapter tonight. We're looking forward to heaven. We have a hope and a confidence of the future. But while we wait, while we wait, guys, for the rest of our days until we get to heaven, how are you living? And he's saying, we choose to make the most of it to live for God, to go after other people, to change lives, to change this world, to transform our sphere of influence all around us, to do something, to get up to heaven that day. And Jesus goes, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. You made the most of your time. Isn't that an encouraging word for us tonight? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we love you and we thank you that you encourage us and convict us just to keep going for you. Lord, uh, sometimes it's real easy to just focus on how good you are and how good we have it and what's going to happen in the future. Then we get a little bit lazy. We get a little bit complacent, a little bit passive. And Lord, you want us to always be busy. You've given us a job to do. You've, you've called it the Great Commission, Lord, whereas your great last words to tell us to go into the, all the world and bring other people into the family. And so, Lord, I pray that you would put that on our hearts, that you wouldn't just keep us so excited and focused on what you have for us and who you are in our lives and what lies ahead, but Lord, you show us how to make the most of our time here on earth right now. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to put people's names and faces into our minds right now, on our hearts. Lord, just to remind us, hey, you got work to do. Lord, as you remind me daily, Carl, go after this person. Carl, go now. Here's your opportunity. Lord, I pray that you would do that to everybody in this room right now. You would remind us that it's not just what we have to look forward to, but what's happening in the here and now, that people need you, Father God. Help use us to go and bring people into the family to reconcile them in their relationship with you. And as we're praying right now, if um, you came here tonight and you yourself realize that you need to be reconciled to God, that you need to be made right with him is what that word means, that you need to have a relationship and to know and to be secure 
that you have a hope of heaven someday and that God is giving you hope as an anchor of your soul that he's here, he's, he's able to overcome whatever storms are in your life right now. If you want to know that self-assuredness and confidence and knowing that your future is in his hands and that you could spend eternity in heaven with him and that he's, he's got you and he covers you and he forgives you and he's moving in your life, if that's what you want right now, I want to say a simple prayer that would lead you into that relationship, that reconciliation with God. And what we're going to do is I'm going to say the words out loud. I'm going to pray them out loud up here. I'm, I'm just going to ask that you would pray them with me in your heart. Because remember what we read tonight, the most important thing to God is your heart, sincere heart. And he tells us that we ought to go tell someone afterwards. We ought to confess it. We ought to be proud of the decision we've made. But I believe it starts in the heart. So I'm going to pray a prayer with you to make things right with you and God right now, for you to become a Christian, to follow him all of your days on earth into eternity. But I just want you to pray it quietly in your heart. And I just want to know who I'm going to be praying this prayer with, the greatest prayer that you'll ever pray in your whole life. I want to know who I'm praying with. So the people that are all seated around you, they got their eyes closed, they're praying. But for you, I'm going to count to three, and I just want you to let me know that you're praying with me. I just, I really want to know who I get the privilege of praying with right now. So when I count to three, I'm just going to ask if that's you that wants to pray this prayer. The guys sitting around you, they don't need to see you, but I want to see you. I'm just going to ask that on three, you would raise your hand and let me know that we're going to pray this together and you will be a Christian starting here and now. If that's what you want to do. One, two, and three. Just lift your hands. Hold them up. I want to count you guys. Keep them up. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Um, I'm looking around. Anybody else I didn't see? Thank you, Lord, for those hands. Unbelievable. Go ahead and put them down right now. Just join me in this prayer in your heart. Lord, I'm here tonight, and I understand my need for you. Lord, I'm tired of living life by myself on my own, making my own decisions. Lord, I need some help. But I believe that you are capable of saving me, of changing me, of transforming my life, of calling me your child and taking care of me forgiving me of all my sins and the things I've ever done wrong. Lord, in helping me to live for you, to please you, to make the most of my time here on earth. Lord, I believe your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Lord, that he paid the price. He, he took my place so I wouldn't have to experience an eternal spiritual death. But Lord, I believe and I accept all that he did for me and he rose from the dead to conquer that sin and that death and that shame in my life. So, Lord, I take advantage of that free gift of salvation. And, Lord, by accepting that, I'm telling you, I choose you and your way above everything else. I choose to live for you and to follow you all of my days on into eternity in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that you would begin a new work in me, that you would change me, that you would help me, Lord, as I begin to seek you every day from here on out. Lord, as I read my word, as I pray, as I get involved with church, with fellowship, the family of God, Lord, as I Ask to be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, just as a sample of all the goodness that's going to happen in heaven, Lord. I want to see that spiritual, supernatural power in my life right now. Lord, I promise to be water baptized, even tonight, Lord, if that's, that's an option for me, Lord, I want to do that. But all that you have for me, I readily accept, and I tell you, I'm yours. I will follow you forever from this day forward. Thank you. And in Jesus' mighty name, the church said, amen. And we praise God for 16 people tonight. Unreal.